You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 181 with Anthony Metivier. I'd like to tell you what this episode is about, but for the life of me, I just can't remember. Just kidding. <laughs> today's, today's episode is about that. The importance of your memory, what you should be memorizing, and how you can improve your memory. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on in your world today, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast. Today's kind of a long conversation, a very good conversation. We get deep real early in this conversation, so I'm just going to get right into it. But of course, you know, I have to afford you the opportunity to be abundant in your life today by sharing with you how you can pay it forward and share Men of Abundance with others in your life, or at least the ones that you like. And you can easily do that by sharing the link menofabundance.com on your social media, in your emails, text it to somebody, say, hey, have you ever listened to this podcast? It might help you where you're at today. And by sharing this, however you decide to do it, you are going to get some thank yous. Some people are going to come back to you and say, thank you very much for sharing that with me. The episode I listened to completely resonated with me today and help me throughout my day. I'm going to be a lifelong listener. Well, that's my expectation anyway, but you will get some thank yous. I know this because I hear about them quite often. And guys, if you want to get in on the conversation, go to menofabundance.com, click on the members only tab, and request access to the Men of Abundance community. That's where we're continuing the conversation from the podcast, talking about some of these episodes and bringing up other conversations just to help each other out in whatever it is that we're dealing with in our life so that we can all together become men of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. It is going to greatly enhance your life. It's going to enhance your income from your job, from your business, from whatever it is that you do, because when you are abundant in your mindset, so much more comes into your life. Trust me on this one. And one more thing that I'll leave to the end, but I'm going to mention now, if you stick around to the end, if you've ever considered getting a coach and you think you might want to work with me either one-on-one or in a group training in living a life of abundance in the mindset and my new uh, platform that I'm building in helping business owners greatly increase their revenue, then stick around to the end because I'm going to share with you how you can get on a 30-minute discovery call with me so that you can decide and we together actually can decide if it would be a good fit for you and I to work together. Now, our featured guest today, Anthony Metivier, is a best-selling author and the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method, a systematic 21st century approach to memorizing foreign language vocabulary, dreams, names, music, poetry, and much more in ways that are easy, elegant, effective, and fun. Anthony writes his books and creates video courses for a variety of people who need help with a number of different memory needs. What separates Anthony from other authors on the memory skills and development is that he doesn't focus on the long strings of digits or training for memory championships. He offers simple techniques for memorizing the information that will change your daily life. 
foreign language, vocabulary, names and faces, material for tests, and exams. There's no hype in this training, just techniques that work. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Anthony Metivier. Anthony, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. And you are yet another amazing guest that uh, Interview Valet has introduced to me. What's your experience been uh, working with them? Oh, it's great. Uh, really nice flow and great people. And, you know, you just get to meet other individuals out there creating value for people that you probably wouldn't meet otherwise because the internet has become such a kind of wonderful pinball machine with so many blind corners that search doesn't really help you find. So it's really great to have uh, extra eyes out there. Yeah, absolutely. They are they are definitely connected with many different people in business and, and podcasting, and they know who to connect you with as far as a influencer or somebody that has a message. They know who to connect you with as far as what podcasts and what podcast hosts are looking for. They've been great to me. They've really given me some amazing people to talk to. Like you said, I would have never met most of the people that they've introduced me to. And some of them, they've introduced me to people that have been on my list since I started podcasting. And it wasn't because I asked them or I gave them my list. It was just they introduced me to these people because I knew that that would resonate with their conversation. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that individual has been on my list for, you know, since I started type of thing. So really cool. They're really connected with some great people. Absolutely. Awesome. So I like to start. Well, first off, let me ask you this. Where are you at in the world? At the moment, I'm in Brisbane, Australia, which is a quaint middle-sized world-class city. It's quite quite an interesting place. See, that is the one area of the world I have not been to that I want to go to. Australia's been on my list for many, many years. I've been to several countries on five continents, but have not been there and have not been to Antarctica yet, <laughs> which I don't really care to. Maybe a day, maybe spend a day there just to say I've been there, but definitely want to get to Australia and New Zealand areas. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's a lot different than I thought it was going to be, but has been a, a wonderful experience. Very cool. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So I like to start the show out, Anthony, with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today? Oh, so many things. First of all, this interview, uh, meeting a new person, I think is one of the greatest things to be grateful for. And, you know, it gives you the opportunity to, to memorize a new name, for example, but also just make connections that can send ripples out that you can't even anticipate. So I'm always just really super grateful for the new people I meet in general and that I have the opportunity to meet so many in the work that I do. Yeah, that is huge. I definitely love meeting new people and learning about their vocations and what they do to contribute to humanity. And you're just doing an amazing thing. I personally think that um, is something that's always been intrigued. I've always looked into different things as far as improving memory and all kinds of tactics and ideas and ways to do that, you know, different ways to learn somebody's name by associating them with an experience or a location or something, which is really cool. And I know we're going to get much more into that. But before we do, how would you describe yourself? Well, I'm a, I guess, a memory educator, a memory popularizer, uh, a, what I would call an N equals one memory scientist, which is really where the memory science tradition started. Um, so 
that means doing experiments in the only laboratory that any of us has, which is our own brain, and then seeing what works and what doesn't work, and then sharing the results with other people. So an explorer of all aspects of memory. I have a scholarly background, having done a PhD, so I bring some of that depth of investigation to memory, but I also see it as an art and a craft and something that really is the most exciting topic in the world because it is in many ways the only topic that there is. We all are the sum of our memories and the quality of our lives is directly attached to that. And yet at the same time, there's a paradox in which that we can live so profoundly in the present moment that memory can be a barrier to that. So we almost want to be able to nullify memory or have a zero kind of sense of memory at the same time. So there's the mastery of being able to remember whatever it is that you want and the mastery of having a clear mind where you're not remembering anything at all, so to speak. So I'm sort of trying to find that perfect balance in my own experience and share that journey with others. Wow, this conversation, um, not even seven minutes in, has already gotten so much deeper than I expected it to. Uh, I did not expect that answer. That is really crazy that you said that because, and it's so true on so many regards because, one, how embarrassing is it when you meet somebody that you know you've talked to and that you should have remembered their name, but you you just can't, I, I, I'm using myself, I just can't remember their name, which is where I usually remember people's names. That's one thing I am pretty good at. But there's that time that I'm like, man, and I'm just looking for clues <laughs> to, right, right. to use the person's name and to remember even sometimes where I know them from. Um, traveling as much as I have, I run into people and they know, and it's really embarrassing when they know me and know my name. And then I can't reciprocate that. I can't recall. And I, sometimes I just come straight out and say, look, I have to admit, I don't remember where I know you from. I don't. Even, I remember meeting you. I remember talking to you, but I don't remember where I know you from. That is embarrassing. But then you take it even deeper and you think of things like these degenerative diseases, or I don't even know that much about it, but like Alzheimer's or something like that. And it's just the worst thing for a family to go through, one of many when one of their family members can't remember who they are as the, as the child or as the husband or the wife. Um, you know, so memory is extremely important on so many, you know, we use it every single day in our jobs. We use it every day in our communication, in our connections with family and friends. Um, wow. So how did you end up getting into something like this? Well, I, I had exactly the problems that you were just mentioning, Wally, where you encounter a piece of information and, you know, you, it's gone. And having had those experiences where you feel embarrassed, and there's a great pain to that, where you have to say to somebody something like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I don't remember <laughs> where we met, or I don't remember your name. And I just thought, this is, this is not good. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be something that can can be done about that. And one of the things that I came to change about my life is, Instead of ever saying anything like that to someone to say, you know, I'm sorry, I just can't remember this, I have turned it into a practice of I'm a person who works on my memory and I really want to get this right. So you told me a few minutes ago that uh, you, your, you know, your name was, say, Wally, and I didn't quite practice because of the excitement of meeting you. So could you tell me your name again and this time I'm going to get it right and have that kind of approach? rather than programming one's mind 
to start on the basis of, oh, failed again. Start with, I actually work on this kind of stuff, and uh, I'm going to to work on it. And I would kind of put myself out there publicly about it. You, there's a different version of that, but I think that's one of the places that it starts is realizing that we're constantly slaughtering ourselves when we make mistakes with our memory and we're programming ourselves that we have a poor memory when it's not technically true. And the problem usually doesn't have to do with memory at its core. And that's one of the most powerful things that I realized. And I think that that's where the change begins. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that particular issue is just recognizing that the problem really doesn't have to do with memory most of the time. And we don't have to beat ourselves with a stick to to get started. So to answer your question of how I got started with it is I was in a deep, dark place and I was beating myself with a stick because I was studying for my PhD. I couldn't remember not just the name of the philosophers I was memorizing or studying, but I couldn't remember, I couldn't pay attention to the sentences. I was quite depressed having to take medication and, and that medication had a spiral effect where the more medication I took, the less I could concentrate and the less I could concentrate, the less I could pay attention and the less I could pay attention, the less there was to remember in the first place. And so I decided to avoid reality. I had huge exams coming up, three of them and uh, also a language qualification exam. And I just thought, well, I'm either going to jump off a bridge or I'm going to become a street magician because I couldn't handle the thought of going to any of these exams and showing up empty and failing because I couldn't recite any of the knowledge that I was supposed to be accumulating from hundreds of books and journal articles that you're asked to read before you go to these exams. And so I took the street magician option heard about a magic trick that is often called the holy grail of magic which is you name a card you name a number that card shows up at that number there's many ways to do that trick one of which is to legitimately know the order of a deck that you've memorized either very quickly or previous to starting the trick and you make a few little invisible moves and you put that card in that number that has been named in that position say position 17 and that uh, is the best way to do it because it's almost invisible and you literally can just say name a card any number between 1 and 52 and with a quick move you put that card in that position because you know the order of the deck which you've shown people looks totally randomized because it is you've just memorized a randomized order and I thought there's no way there's no way but I learned how to do it and 15 minutes later lo and behold I memorized the deck of cards my first deck of cards I've now gotten that time down significantly but I saw instantly that if I could do that, I could memorize the entire history of Western and Eastern philosophy if that's what I needed to do. And so I started treating information like a deck of cards. And I walked into all those exams with total confidence and passed. And when they gave me my PhD, they said that I passed with audacity was the word they put there <laughs> as a special <laughs> recommendation. And that audacity came partly because I was just rattling stuff off like like it was like I owned it like I'd written it myself and that is in a sense what you do when you remember information you write it into the chemicals of your own brain and you do really own that information in a way that you don't otherwise if you haven't memorized it at that deep chemical level right so what do you say to the folks that and I've heard this many times I've probably said it myself that 
I just have a hard time. Rem- I, I, I can't remember names. I have a hard time remembering names. These negative affirmations that come out of their mouth or, you know, like we were talking before the show, I, I'm a, not, not a fast reader. I want to be a fast reader. I'm just not type of thing. So what would you say to those folks? Well, the first thing is, is that a lot of what is going on is that your mind is constantly being confronted. Well, confronted is maybe not the right word, but it is experiencing tons and tons of information. And that information is just washing over your eyes. It's pummeling into your ears. Your skin is processing the temperature of the air and so forth. So if we meet at a party and you say, Wally, um, and maybe you give me your last name as well, there's so many other things that the brain is paying attention to that paying attention to the name really is just a an act in and of itself. So really, you just need to ask people, do you really pay attention when you meet someone? And that's where the fun begins. Because we usually realize that we're not paying attention. We're not only immersed in all the sounds, all the movements, all the other things to pay attention to, but we're thinking about what we're going to say next instead of actually stopping and saying, oh, Wally Carmichael. Nice to meet you, Wally. You know, And that's where you break the cycle because then you have a second there and you could, you know, that movie Wally with the little robot. Well, there you can start to think on your shoulder. Maybe that little robot is crawling on your shoulder. And then on the other shoulder, maybe the car from uh, Knight Rider is there. And Michael was involved in that show, a guy named Michael. And maybe Kit the car is saying, Michael, Wally is approaching us and it looks like he's unhappy, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And, and, and now you've created what in, in the memory world is called association. And you can just run that through your head a couple of times and without even breaking, it, it takes a little bit of practice. I recommend you practice this in your, in your privacy of your own home without any stress involved. Relax a little bit. Maybe open up Wikipedia. There's the random button there. Hit it a few times until you get some names. Just jot down what that name was and practice on the photograph of the person using their shoulders or some feature. I don't like to use the person's face because when you do this in real life, it's I don't personally find it pleasant to be looking at someone and seeing like the Wally robot crawling all over your face. That I think is is not a good advice and that's the usual advice in the memory books but I'd rather use your shoulders or maybe even on the wall behind you and uh, and really have my attention on your face because there's techniques I'll use to remember your face as well um, so if I see you again then I'm going to know that I know you and then I'll just think of your shoulders but that's association and I can explain if you think you're, you and your listeners would be interested in why that works scientifically like what's going on in the brain when you take that pause uh, because it's it is really interesting to know those things, but that's the basis. It's just making associations after you've paid attention. So the rule is, pay attention and then associate. And you can do all this silently with a little bit of practice, and you'll never forget names again. There's no need to. Yes, absolutely. And and I would like for you to break that down just briefly. That is a technique that I've personally used. Um, not exactly like that, but basically, like I was saying, I, I associate. The name, either with another name that I know or a location or an event or something of that nature is generally how I usually remember names. My, 
so I'm usually pretty good with the names. So I would like to know how that, why that physically works. Right. Well, it's a. Uh, it, I'll give it in a kind of figurative sense with some of the reference to the to the to the science. Your brain is essentially made up of, and I think everybody knows this, like millions and millions of neurons, and those neurons are connected by synapses. And then those synapses create what are called neural networks. And when information is coming in, your brain actually doesn't take a new memory and store it as one single entity. So, and it, and it not only does it not store it as one single entity, it it doesn't even store it in one single location. So what that means is that when your brain is forming memories, it is creating neural networks out of them so to speak, and the strength of those neural networks is really comes down to how strong they were when you created them. And you can get involved in the process by paying attention and then making some sort of association because the brain is going to split that information up. So it may take the Wally part, and if the brain was a, a neighborhood, let's say, it might put Wally on Fleetwood Avenue in the, in in my brain, and it might even put it on the second house of uh, Fleetwood Avenue, and then it might take the car part of your name and across town put it in the fourth house of Paramount Street, right? And then the uh, the Michael part might be on yet another street on another part of town, and so the brain distributes information throughout multiple locations. That's assuming that you paid attention to the information in the first place. And how that you recall information is that your brain then, through a process of what's called decoding, will take whatever was on um, uh, Fleetwood and it'll take whatever was on Paramount Street and it will bring it back and recombine it. And when you're struggling for something, trying to recall information and you get like part of it or you feel like you have it your brain is literally trying to take from these distance distant locations and bring it back together and if you've taken a moment to pay attention to it and make some association you've really laid a very very solid neural network pathway that makes it easier for that information to be gathered back together together again for processing through your mouth to, into speaking or how or writing or however you want to use it. So, so it's not that you get to store information in your brain any closer to each other as it's broken apart, but you get to strengthen the streets or the pathways between the streets so that it's easier for your brain to reassemble what it's broken apart and stored in different locations. Yeah, that's very, I found that very interesting. You know, over the years, I've had, I've talked with so many different people, and I meet these people that are just tremendously book smart. They they gather all this information. I think of the Jeopardy winners. You know, these guys on Jeopardy, they just have all of this information that's in their head, and they can recall it and and speak it like on on demand that quickly. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, some of those same people can't apply the knowledge that they have in their head. On a, on, a, on a daily basis, they can't really apply it. They're, they're very good at memorizing stuff, but they can't apply it very well. And at the same time, I also know people, I knew this guy, he was a leader, uh, sergeant major in the Army. And this guy, not only did he know the names of 
just hundreds, probably thousands of soldiers. He knew their spouse's name, he knew their kids' names, and he knew their situations that they were in at that time based on a conversation they had even three years prior. And it was super impressive to see that. So in, in studying all of this, how do you see the application between memory and daily activities? Uh, well, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Wally, because it is a, a, a strange aspect here. And it's not just these uh, game show games and so forth, but across the board, even in the memory championships, there are people who just have the most stunning results and win, and not all of the memory champions, but some of them historically, they've just had the most stunning results, but yet they spend their lives in pubs, you know? So it's not, there's not necessarily a correlation between developing your memory to have super skill and somehow then going out and becoming a leader or becoming an amazing uh, contributor to society. And there is, I think, in some either unconscious or even very conscious part of the minds of many people an apprehension about developing these skills because they don't want to become some sort of social misfit because so many of these people seem to have borderline autism. Although I can say that the current reigning uh, world memory champion is a very balanced and centered individual and a very dedicated medical student. And and so that's not universally true, but there there has been this this perception over time that there's just something wrong with these people with their super memory. <laughs> um, but by the same token, the the military person you mentioned, I mean, that's that I think is an example of good social competence using memory um, as part of social competence. And so I think that or all evidence shows that the most successful people, they pick the memory tools that are going to contribute most to elevating their role in society, the work that they do. So in my teaching uh, in this world, I always tell people, what is the number one area in your life where you can develop and hone your memory and then memorize the information that's going to make an instant improvement that you can feel tangibly and you will say, yes, this is it. I have invested my time in developing these skills and gotten a quick victory that is substantial that is meaningful, and that actually makes me a better person, a more competent person. And I find that that's sorely lacking in the memory training because there's either just memory training as such or books written by the memory champions who go and they hone their memories so they can sit there and memorize a bunch of useless information that they're going to forget half an hour later after they get their prize, and they don't go and then do anything useful with it, like learning a language so that you can travel and you know, just have greater pleasure on your trip or learning some terminology related to the medical profession, the legal profession, or whatever it might be so that you can be a more competent professional in the work that you do and in experience salary increases or better business deals or whatever outcomes you're looking for. Target those things. You can do that. The memory techniques will serve specific outcomes if you spend two to five minutes writing down what your outcomes might be that you want. So I don't really teach at all general memory techniques. I always want them laser targeted at outcomes that immediately improve your life, not just randomly. Because if you just, you know, hunt too many ducks, you're not going to count, you're not going to catch any of them. You've got to be much more strategic than that. 
Right. That's excellent. That is absolutely excellent because in my, you know, personally, I talk to a lot of people and I, if I ever run into them again, I always want to make sure that I have, you know, can recall that information, have that conversation. Or if I'm, if, if I'm talking to somebody that I can, con and I know there's somebody I can connect them with, I want to make sure I remember their name because it's like, oh, I know somebody who's doing it in that field and, you know, I got to remember the name and I got to get you guys connected. So I, that's that's what's really important to me. That and you hit it on the head, languages. I love to learn, you know, I, I speak English and Spanish. And when I was getting ready to go to um, the Middle East, I was kind of learning Arabic in case I ever needed it. So I was learning Arabic and, and stuff like that's important to me. Otherwise, there's so much information out there that I could just Google or I could just ask somebody for that matter. You know, I, I don't need to, I always say I don't, I don't want to use up what little brain cells I do have with useless information that I can search and find out, ex, you know, like my peripheral brain type of thing. I usually have the analogy, but I absolutely love that you said that because it makes perfect sense to not just gather information, just memorize stuff, just to memorize it for, and it's not really helping you in your daily activities or your vocation or whatever it is that you do to contribute to humanity. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that you will get better general memory competence through that Exactly. Singular focus in a way that you wouldn't if you just try to improve everything across the board. Yeah, and I'm, you know, and I'm using the same concept in what I'm doing as far as what I'm reading and listening to right now because right now I'm honing my coaching skills at this point in my life and, and really coaching other guys and, and, and helping them move forward in their life. So there's a lot of things that I like to read and listen to, but I'm just not focused on that right now because I'm using my time wisely to learn more about the, the coaching industry and how I can better help guys get out of their own minds and, and get out of the scarcity mindset and into the abundance mindset. Therefore, I have a coach. You know, I hired a coach to, to help me do that. So it's the same concept. If You know, you, you really need to just memorize the stuff that you can use. You mentioned wanting to read faster, and I could perhaps give you some counterintuitive tips about how to do that in a way that serves your memory as well if you're interested. Absolutely. So there's a whole field out there called speed reading and I really support some of that teaching but ultimately in my own training I call it slow reading because there's uh, something and I do that tongue-in-cheek because actually I can get the same results just as fast but I do really think it's very powerful to read the whole book um, so that you have that comprehensive understanding of what the book is that you that you're you're reading and also layer out an experience that is spatial because books are are spatial and your memory is spatial as we talked about there's different locations in your brain where your informa information is stored and so from the world of speed reading I've taken the ideas of reading the back and front cover, looking through the table of contents, looking through the index, going through the bibliography, just making a general spatial sense of what's in that book, thinking about what might uh, what might tickle your brain, what you might want to look at first and so forth. And uh, I've gotten rid of the, of the scanning part, though. Um, and what I do, and it's been so tremendously powerful for me, is I pick a number, usually between 3 and 5 or 5 and 10, and I say, okay, this book has 10 chapters. I'm going to get three pieces of information that is just critical from each chapter. So if it's got 10 ch chapters, 
and I want three pieces of monumental information from each chapter, then I'm, I'm going to get out 30, or, yeah, 30 index cards, uh, three for each chapter. And I'm going to read intently but quickly through looking for those three points. Now, I might have some extra index cards nearby in case that something extra monumental shows up. But generally, I've primed my mind by looking at the book from cover to cover, seeing what it's all about. And then I just start reading with the intent of how much information I'm going to capture. And given a little bit of leeway, wiggle room here and there in case something else comes up. But generally, that is what happens. And I write down that core information on index cards. And at the end, I have maybe 30 to 35 index cards. And from that, I create a memory palace, which is a memory tool that uh, we could talk about. And I just encode that information into the memory palace. And what ends up happening after you go through the, this process is your mind can make connections and it will fill in the blanks. So by not trying to memorize everything in the book, you wind up remembering way more because you're giving yourself the big ideas, the big ones, and really deeply encoding them in, your, in the chemical part of your brain. And you'll fill in in the gaps. And so I find that to be the most powerful process. And I don't say that it would be super powerful for every other person on the planet, but I think it's well worth giving a try for two to three books to see if it works for you, because you'll find your brain making connections that it probably can't otherwise, because so many people have this scarcity mindset, got to remember everything, or they're skimming just for the details, but they haven't given themselves that that basis upon which you can prime the brain in the first place by understanding the book as a whole. So those are some tips to try. I definitely see how that can work. That's really, that's really brilliant. So Anthony, you know, with all the stuff that you've done and all the people that you've talked to and all the conversations that you've had and, and I just know um, not everything went absolutely perfect. Even, you know, you already mentioned about why you got into practicing memory and, and really getting into that. But Everybody has that kick in the gut moment. And what defines most people is what happens after that, what you do with that kick in the gut moment. Does it define you? Do you turn your mess into your message? Or does it beat you down? So at this point, I'd love for you to share that kick in the gut moment with us and really make us feel that. Well, the, the biggest kick in the gut I ever had was when I was told I was manic depressive. And I wasn't told in the visit to the doctor sense, but I was told in the you're locked up for three months sense and I really had to struggle with that because it changes your identity at, at some very very deep ways and what had happened was I was refusing to take medicine and they weren't letting me out until that I basically agreed to take medicine and I'll never forget the scene with the doctor and he was saying he said two things at once uh, in a rhetorical way to try and convince me and he said you know if this was diabetes, you would just take your insulin. There'd be no argument about it. And then he said, you know, Robin Williams has this same condition and he manages it and he wouldn't be able to act in all these movies and make people feel the ways that they feel if he didn't manage the uh, condition, which I was a huge fan of Robin Williams. And this, this, this is going back 15 years before his passing. And that just hit me so hard because what a cruel violation of another man's experience for this doctor to sit here and manipulate me on the basis of, of 
uh, what I think is a pretty universal fanship of one of the world's greatest actors with his arms out on his sleeve. And yet, nonetheless, it manipulated me to finally assent to take this medicine. And that medicine, although I don't regret it and I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, anybody should go against their doctor's orders and so forth, it sent me on, on years and years and years of accepting a story that turned out wasn't the full truth. And I wrestled with it and worked through it. And I've never been shy about my story with people on my own podcast about manic depression and what it does to your memory and how that I've worked that through by using these techniques and how I've changed the techniques to help get through depressions and, and so forth and, and whatnot. But I, I, I find that it, it, it's such a, a important thing to not accept the stories that you're told or take them with a grain of salt because I, I was uh, indoctrinated in that in that moment and I accepted a story for far too long and that means that I didn't work as much on changing it as I could have as soon as I could have as a younger person. So I'm not sure if that's answering your question directly but uh, in any case that that was that was a real kick in the gut and I still think of it very sadly that a person of authority would would use another person's story like he doesn't know robin williams i don't think <laughs> so like and even if he did you know it was, it was it's just like a weird moment and i think we do that to each other far too often really um so yeah it was it took me a long time to wrestle through it i think far too many people believe the story that others tell them even though they are somebody in authority like a doctor uh, because we are supposed to trust them but we got to understand that they only know you know, basically what they're trained in the uh, region in which they're trained. And I say the region because our Western medicine is much different than Eastern medicine. And Eastern medicine has been around for thousands of thousands of years. What was it that got you to that point? What was it that made them feel that they needed to lock you up until you decided to take this medication? I was a, a university student and what had happened is I was deeply intoxicated with a lot of the ideas that we were studying. I was doing English literature at the time. And it was also, it was spring. And it was just the time of year that I've seen as a professor myself since a year of high or a time of year that is filled with pressure of the exams that are coming up and, and the season is changing and your energy starts to change. I guess cabin fever is a term that some people use to maybe describe that moment. And I was just filled with so much crazy energy and emotion, and I started writing poetry. And I, and you know, it's been published since, uh, <laughs> strangely enough. But I was writing this wild, inventive poetry, and I had the idea of writing a new version of Eliot's *The Wasteland* for my generation. And so it was just coming out in reams and reams and reams and reams. And I was sending it. The email was quite a new thing at the time. It was still, there was a novelty to it. The idea that you could send an email to all your professors at the same time. <laughs> so, and I was just sharing it with them. Not all my professors, but the ones that were involved in literature. And uh, they sort of had a posse together through email. And they said, and they'd seen me and I was pretty emotional in, in the lectures I was showing up to and crying over the beauty of poetry. And I, I mean, and there's no doubt about it. I was I was having some kind of mania, and uh, they uh, they created a posse, and they had the the teaching assistant that I was closest to approach me, and 
he essentially he took the manuscript of of my poem that he'd printed out and he drew a map on the back of it to where i could find a place in toronto called the clark institute um i believe it calls itself something different now but this was a, a, a treatment center for for different issues of this kind and he said you've got so many ideas and these people would just love to hear them <laughs> anyway to make a long story short i i hadn't been sleeping i i did recognize that there was there was something going on but i felt like a million dollars i remember talking to my friends and saying you know do I seem okay? Do I seem like I've been taking drugs? Because uh, I haven't, you know, <laughs> it was just a wild, wild experience. And uh, that's what got me into the hospital in the first place. And they did manage to help me sleep and so forth. But um, ultimately, that guy ended up losing his position because they were, you know, they were meddling in in medical affairs of a student. Uh, it was all, it got all very strange and so forth. But um, it's a good thing that it happened. But by the same token, I wonder what would have gone differently if I just managed. I, I knew I wanted to get some sleep, and I had gotten the keys of a professor's office that was going away on vacation. And my plan was just to read this epic poem that I'd written and then go and sleep for a week. And uh, uh, that never ended up happening. But a lot of people worried that I was – because I was arranging a final reading for this poem. And a lot of people thought that I was going to go there and read my poem and, like, shoot my – self or whatever and uh, I had no intention or idea of this uh, but they intervened and we've seen some crazy things on campuses so I can't hold it against them for intervening but that was not at all what was going on and I I sincerely can't help but wonder if I'd just gotten to finish my poem and sleep for a week like I felt that I needed but in any case poetry was probably not my destiny <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a very interesting story. What I'm getting from this is you ultimately ended up getting off the medication or, you know, otherwise reducing the medication. What was the enough is enough moment, the pivot point to where you kind of just started taking on matters in your own hands? Yeah, well, I was a devoted patient for many years and I took lithium for almost almost 10 years. And it was why I needed these memory techniques because I I'd still get depressed and it was I would then, you know, go and tell my story to a psychiatrist and he'd say, oh, well, now you got to add this antidepressant. And, you know, this was the reference I was making earlier to not being able to concentrate and focus. And so I was devoted to solving this based on science because I am uh, primarily a scientist. I'm a trained scientist in the humanities. And I think that the empirical method is is, is key. And so I submit myself to to these procedures trying to solve it from that narrative that they give you of well if you stop taking your medication then it's never going to work again properly the same way and you have to try this medication for so many days and blah 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 and finally I wound up in New York and I explored a different medicine that didn't have so many of the terrible side effects of uh, lithium and took that for maybe another eight years and Finally, I came to uh, a different idea, which was, have you, someone asked me, have you ever looked into food sensitivities? And I had a little bit. I'd come to understand that I couldn't really eat wheat without having some sort of reaction. But I wound up hiring some coaches. You mentioned coaching as being important. And they, they were dietary coaches for when you're going through what's called a, um, a elimination diet. 
to find out what your real food sensitivities are. And it's guided by another thing called an MRT, which is deep blood analysis, where they do 90 plus trials to get a much bigger picture of what your body reacts to. And so what ended up happening is they found uh, a number of foods, which turned out to be my favorite foods, that were potential triggers for all kinds of problems that I was having, including behavioral problems, mood problems, and so forth. And so here I came to understand very quickly, I've been medicating myself against reactions to food that's normally considered very healthy. And I kid you not, within six weeks of removing all those foods, not only had I lost most of the weight that lithium previously had put on my body, but the uh, the the negative symptoms of depression and mania were just not entirely gone, but leveled out to such a point that I was free enough within another six months that I said, you know what, I'm going to weed myself off this medication because I, I just do not feel these symptoms anymore. And now it's a year and a half later, uh, totally medicine free. I've never felt better in my life. I'm at the gym three times a week, meditating daily, doing gratitude practice daily, and it just – I mean, I can't give medical advice to any other person. But what I can say is you might do well to look into these matters because the clarity in my mind – I still use memory techniques, and it, the, none of this is a substitute for memory techniques. But the clarity or, – or it's not a substitute for medicine that you might need either, but I just can't I, – can't tell you how what a difference it is to live medicine free at, at the expense of not eating a lot of foods that otherwise seem very healthy, but I, I just happen to react to very, very badly, and I didn't know. I just didn't know. So could have been a different, a different uh, university experience altogether if I had just not eaten those foods. Wow, that's. I'm glad I asked that question, and I'm glad that you shared that information with us because it's really right where I'm at. I, I do everything I can to, of all the ailments that I've been told that I have over the years, and then I was given patches, and I was given, supposed to take this medication or that, and then I've got many friends who fall into many categories that you're talking about, and 90% of the time or more, your diet has a lot to do with it, and I don't mean diet like dieting to lose weight, I mean diet for your brain, diet for your body, eating properly, eating foods and recognizing that. That experience with those particular coaches that, and I've heard of this before, many times before, obviously, about eliminating foods to find out and eliminating other things in your in your life as well, um, deodorants that are chemical-based, uh, shampoos, and other household items that we use throughout the house, even cleaning supplies, Elim starting to eliminate some of these things and seeing how, it re how your body reacts to it. It makes a big difference, obviously, in so many people's lives. Uh, just by eliminating certain things. Well, and you know, some people out there saying, well, that's my favorite food like you did. But hey, if it's going to get you off these medications that cause other problems and affecting your memory, for instance, and other things, then goodness, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, well, it's here's the cruel thing about it is, you know, y you mentioned the word proper diet, right? And the thing is, is that so many of these foods, they belong in a normal quote unquote normal proper diet like I, I it, it, it's the craziest thing to me but when I realized that eating apples was creating suicidal impulses 
I just thought, but that's my favorite food, just eating an apple, you know? But what we discovered through testing, and again, investing in coaching was the best thing I did because this is legitimately difficult. But through testing and having the support to actually figure it out and build some mental toughness around it, we just discovered that, hey, you know what? If you bake those apples, then whatever that chemical is, then it is effectively reduced so that you can still have apples. You just got to bake them first, right? And that problem is gone. So all the self-punishing of, you know, oh, I have this depression and and being tortured by crazy impulses, it's just gone. And it's so freeing, but it requires the discipline of not eating raw apples. And, you know, I, I, I came to a point, and I still am at that point, that I'll give up anything under the sun to be free of that stuff because the medicine wasn't really ever 100% effectively addressing it anyway. But not eating raw apples ended it, period. So, and uh, I mean, there's other foods, but so I think that I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, N equals one experiments. We really need to understand that proper diet is very particular to each and every individual. And one of the biggest investments you can ever make to improve your life and improve it quickly is to really burrow down into this topic and understand that you are the only person who can determine the proper diet for you. There may be changes as you age and so forth, but if you if you study this, optimal health is available to you probably, most likely, simply by going through an elimination diet and perhaps what's called a three-day rotation diet or maybe be a five-day rotation diet or whatever. And these tools are available. And if you submit themselves yourself to them, it's, it's, it, does, it does require discipline, but it's probably the best thing you will ever do in, in, for total comprehensive health because we're poisoning ourselves. And, and, and I have also you know, done experiments removing soaps and, and so forth because we are such sensitive creatures. We're, we want to think that we're so tough and so forth. And yeah, now I can go to the gym and lift myself up uh, doing pull-ups with, uh, and I'm now up to 15 plus kilo of my own body weight with a belt on and all these weights and stuff. I never would have dreamed that was possible. But with for all that toughness, you know, with the one ingredient in shampoo, same feeling like crap because of how sensitive the body, human body is. And we are in denial of that of the convenience of just going to the grocery store and picking up whatever is going to clean us uh, from a bottle when with a little bit of research and maybe waiting an extra week because you ordered something from the internet uh, and be prepared in advance for your underarm solution or going stinky for a couple days when you don't have the kind that you need that you've discovered through self-exploration. There's so much freedom to be had just by figuring this stuff out. Exactly. Now, we don't have a whole lot of, we don't have time to go over all of those tools that you were just mentioning, but if you could, share those with me and I'll make sure I list those in the show notes for the guys to go uh, check out. I'd love for them okay. to go check that out. I'd like to check it out myself. So, Anthony, we're at the point in the show where we're going to pay it forward. You ready to do that, man? Absolutely. Outstanding. So, share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Well, I think the number one step that you could take is Look at your memory and write an assessment of where your memory is and the number one thing that you could use your memory better with to experience a better life. So as we talked about in this interview, really think about what's that 
one thing if you had in memory or the or the database that you could have in memory and if i had that what what would what would happen to improve my professionalism my personal life or whatever it is that would 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 tip the the most powerful domino over so you would experience a kind of little improvement engine if you could just get that sorted from a memory basis and the next thing would be I think that the strongest memory technique you can learn is the is the memory palace because the memory palace lets you use all the other tools of association and there's different options that you have, but you can use them inside of this tool called the memory palace. And then after that, I would just practice using your memory based on these techniques so that when you're in different situations, you know to pay attention to information differently than you have before. And then you can remember it with greater ease and have much better confidence and if you take the extra step on top of this, because these memory techniques will help you no matter what your physical situation is, what your psychological situation is, but take the extra step and improve your overall health and use these tools to help you remember what to do and how to do it. Excellent. What daily habits make the biggest impact in your life? Yeah, I think one thing that... Uh, is a very powerful way to think about it is that we are either on a conscious pro program or an unconscious program and you can step in and very consciously program the order in which you experience the world or you can have it programmed for you by either your own unconscious programs or the programs that other people consciously have out there for you so why not step in and intervene and and use some sort of system in your life to to get where you want to go. What would one of those systems look like? Well, in the case of if you wanted, well, my, my own daily rituals involve getting up, doing some stretching, some meditation, some gratitude journaling, a little bit of language learning, and drinking water, brushing my teeth, combing my hair, and or you know, just that that sort of stuff. But the key thing is, is that that's a habit chain and all of it happens before the computer goes on. And that's very, very important. No picking up the phone and checking messages. No turning on, oh, I'll just see what's happening on Facebook. All of that needs to happen. It's an if, if this, then that. So if I wake up, I stretch. If I stretch, I meditate. And in the meditation, there are also little habit chains with breathing and so forth. Once that's done, then I go and do my gratitude journaling. Then I take care of making sure I get lots of water. Then I take care of just basic, you know, self-cleaning and so forth. In case a, an opportune Skype moment comes, I don't have to be like, oh, I got to brush my hair first. <laughs> and you know, then do a bit of language learning because I just feel terrible if I don't spend some time on my language learning. It's on my shoulders all day long. And then the computer can go on, and it just feels so great. So that's a that's a programmed morning standard operating procedure and the day can't possibly go wrong if those things are covered because that's the strength that's all my dreams all the things that require the accomplishment of my dreams is covered in the first 45 minutes of the day or an hour of the day before anything can interrupt it with the with the online world it's very powerful and it, it accumulates it over time it absolutely does and and I'll, you're absolutely correct that sounds very familiar it sounds very close to what my morning routine is, and if I even glance at the phone and see any of the of the um, 
notifications or anything like that or my computer opens up, forget about it. I'm, I'm just it, the whole day shot as far as it's concerned and getting that morning routine done. What do you what would you recommend? It's important that we don't feel No, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's important that we don't punish ourselves for that though, because we know scientifically that if we make that slip up and we get lost in the wave of it, it's our brain chemicals. You know, we're just a lot of people. They'll say, "Oh, well, I don't have discipline," and so forth, and and then they feel badly about it because they lost an hour on Facebook or whatever. But really, the discipline is in is not in not using that stuff. The di discipline is in having just not having it around to to interrupt you in the first place because people are sleeping with their phones you know they're using the the portal onto the internet as their alarm if you need to if you've arranged your life in a way where you need an alarm which is respectable uh, you can avoid it but <laughs> there's other other options for you but uh, if that's the way it is then for heaven's sake have a independent dedicated alarm that doesn't connect it to the internet so that you can have your smartphone in a cupboard in the kitchen far away so that it's less likely for you to go off on that tsunami of information and you have that space and you have triggers that remind you on the journey to your smartphone that you know just make it very difficult for you not to fulfill these routines and rituals and so forth and just stack the chips in your favor because we are are all just chemical machines that are very, very, again, we have these unconscious pro programs running that we will follow if we don't have conscious programs to follow in their place. So just figure out what you want in life and build the routine that serves that outcome and then just get started and constantly stack the chips in your favor. And as we started this interview, get out of the self-punishment thing as soon as you can because all of these, all of that is just useless and it's just normal for us to fall prey to that stuff. What, what what is extraordinary is the person who figures a way out of those traps and they're very, very easy. You just got to get started and explore them. Very good point. And I absolutely agree with all of that. What are you reading? What would you recommend to our abundant leaders that to read or listen to and why? Well, I think, I think uh, one of my favorite podcasts is the waking up podcast and also Sam Harris's book waking up would be my first recommendation simply because it is a science-based confirmation of a lot of what I've been suggesting today in terms of why that so many of us fall prey to our to our base impulses and other additional science-based tips for how you can create a gap between you know what the brain wants you to do and what you really want to do and set up those routines. I think that's one of the most powerful books out there for establishing that and supplementing it with his podcast as well is very good for that. Excellent. And mention the uh, name of your podcast again. My podcast is the Magnetic Memory Method Podcast, and we go into all aspects of memory that you can use to improve your life. Wonderful. We'll have, we'll have all of that linked up in the show notes as well. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? I think it's probably fear and scarcity and also that normal, natural, chemical status of the brain that's trying to conserve energy in a way that is is fear-based but it's it's a biological fear-based that doesn't necessarily psychologically experienced fear-based so you know our, our ancestors we have these bizarre images from the movies and so forth 
of our ancestors as being warriors and out there hunting and fighting and all this sort of stuff. It's not true. Our ancestors, we sat laying down in the shade of trees as much as we possibly could. And then when we saw a lion had done the work of you know, attacking a zebra or whatever and left a carcass, we would run out and drag the carcass back and figure out how we could eat it and conserve as much energy as we possibly could in order to have the energy to run out there and drag the carcass back. Now I'm simplifying things, but the actual deep human history is one of conserving energy, not spending it. So our fear isn't just like that we're weak as people or that some people are stronger than others and yada, 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 all the stories that we tell. We have a deep, deep genetic need to conserve energy. So laziness and so forth is stronger in others, but it's just normal to all people. And there's actually benefits to laziness. So I think that that is one of the most powerful things that people can just realize and stop punishing themselves. So I think that if you can find any path to releasing yourself from self-punishment, understand more about what the human machine is, you'll find so much freedom in it. And then you'll design big levers that move even bigger cogs with minimum amounts of energy. Because the memory techniques that I talk about are all about low energy with huge impact. Because otherwise, we're just we're just too lazy to do it, you know. And that's kind of normal. So just find out how to how to maximize the benefits of things with a minimum amount of energy invested, and in a way that cherishes our genetic heritage. Assuming that that this scientific story that I'm telling is is uh, is true, and I think all evidence supports it if you really look at the history of human evolution. Now that's the first time I've ever heard that um, brought up on this show or in general, I mean, anytime, quite frankly. And I have to say, I relate to that because for me, living this life of abundance is not about the hustle of marketing and the hustle of talking to everybody I can possibly talk to and the hustle of coaching everybody that I can possibly coach. It's doing all of that in a way that I'm still able to truly enjoy my leisure time. And I truly enjoy my leisure time. I, you know, I live in Hawaii for a reason. I'm in the process of relocating to Tampa at this point. By the time this show airs, I'll probably already be there. Um, you know, and and I do that for a reason because I truly enjoy my leisure time. I enjoy my family time, and I enjoy my vocation. I enjoy what I do for improve humanity and to contribute to humanity. Uh, so that really does make a lot of sense to me. Well, you know, and anybody wants to look into it deeper, it's called the Savannah hypothesis, or that's part of what I'm referring to. And if you look into it, you, your eyes will be widened. Don't necessarily have to agree with all of it. But I think one of the things that I would also point people to very quickly is that what you're describing, a very nice lifestyle where you're just doing the biggest contribution that you can, but in a way that really cherishes rest and and what you want to experience and so forth. Throughout history, this has been vilified and it has been held with suspicion by a lot of people. And this is often referred to in philosophy as slave morality. So there's a lot of hatred of people, and it just comes from jealousy, really, of people who have figured out how to get the maximum out of the minimum effort. And it's been ever since the when they figured out how to irrigate the soil in a certain way, you know, there was the guy who said, hey, if we irrigate the soil this way and and uh, we bring the water to our crops, 
we'll have uh, a much greater abundance. And then he, he just sat there and told the other people how to do it, right? There's been hatred of that guy who figured it out yeah, <laughs> ever no, since exactly. that guy figured it out. But the reality is, is that that is just a person using that deep genetic need for rest to figure out how to bring the carcass to him instead of having to run out and drag the, drag the carcass from, from danger into the shade. Anthony, this is absolutely brilliant. I love that. I really do. That's why I love having these conversations, guys, because I get these aha moments, and it truly is 100% like the canal. You know, you're using the, the irrigation. You know, instead of 10 people walking, you know, I don't know how many miles a day with buckets of water, to irrigate, you just create a path so that the water comes to you. I mean, there's, and that's just one of thousands of ideas that have made our lives so much easier. And you're right, it is vilified in many reasons because what'd you just do? You just put all those bucket carriers out of business, out of, you know, out of a job, so to speak, if you will. Um, but it allows them to do other things in their life and get more creative with with what they're going to do for their vocation or how they're going to contribute to humanity. Just amazing, absolutely amazing. So. What does living a life of abundance mean to you, Anthony? Well, I think it's exactly getting out of the slave morality and n not being one of those bucket carriers who's like, oh, well, I hope they don't ax my job because I really need it. You know, it, that is that's not only slave morality, but that's scarcity. So if you if you really want to live a life of abundance, what you need to understand is that there are ways to bring the water to you that are simpler they're easier and they help you serve that water to far more people than you ever could on your own because there's not just bringing the water to you, but there are the pipes that you can build that redistribute it back out. And you can do it in ways uh, th these days online that are just epic. And to not, not, to not be involved in that, no matter where you are in life, to not be involved in that with an openness of abundance and seeing where the human project is going to free us all is really just to i don't want to be black and white but it is kind of you know you're either with us or against us but we we really are at this pivotal moment where more and more people have access to the tools of creating that irrigation and the really really powerful ones understand that it comes and goes and so they bring the water to themselves and redistribute it and make sure that it's redistributed to those people even if they have slave morality and work against them instead of with them because the way that we get all out of this trap is by working together to keep everything flowing and going and redistributing and coming back again and again and again but recognizing that you know we we need we need to work together to do it because none of it happens on its own and it always involves multiple players. Right. And I've lost count of how many people I've, you know, how many stories I've read and people I've talked to who were pushed out of their comfort zone because their bucket lifting um, position was eliminated due to some sort of technology or some other way of doing things. And like you said, you're either with us or against us and you're either growing or you're dying. So, you know, it's the same same concept, and I totally agree with that. So we're going to close this up, Anthony. Before we do, what would you like to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation that we did not already talk about? Well, I think that we really covered the 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 <laughs> the, the, the essence. I mean, you know, there's always that joke of, well, we uh, 
we'll we'll solve world uh, world problems next time, you know, uh, in our conversation. But I think that this is there there. That's it. I don't I don't think it, I think we make it too complicated, and it's it's really simpler than that. And find just find whatever it is that you can do that is satisfying to you, but satisfying to you because it's helping satisfy others. I think that's the secret. And you don't need any kind of, you know, law of attraction or anything like that, because that in itself is far more attractive than any magic spells or affirmations or all that sort of stuff. Just be the one who is creating value for yourself in a way that creates value for others and is deeply satisfying enough that it creates an engine that you don't run out of fuel. And rest is going to be a huge part of that. That's one of the things I've had to learn in my own entrepreneurial journey is, you know, even though I have endless enthusiasm for this stuff, also got to take care of the 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 machine that that through which the fuel needs to flow, right? So um, be satisfied, satisfy others and 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 take care of yourself as a as a unit because that's all all of us are really. We're a unit through which energy travels. and uh, that, that would be the additional takeaway. Simply amazing. A reframing. Yeah, yeah. simply amazing, abundant, and brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love every bit of it. Anthony, I greatly appreciate your time. I'm going to be looking into these resources that you shared with us and these tools, and I'll have all of that linked up in the show notes at menofabundance.com. Now, go out and live your life of abundance, brother. Aloha. Thank you very much. All right, guys, after all that, I hope you remember what I said when we first got started here, one being... Make sure you're abundant in your life today and pay it forward to other people in your life by sharing Men of Abundance with them. And as I mentioned earlier, if you feel that you need a coach for living a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness, and would even like to learn how to put $10,000 back into your own personal business, then I invite you to request a 30-minute discovery call with me so that we can get on the phone and decide if you and I can work together. Now, when you go to menofabundance.com and click on the coaching tab at the top of the page, you'll see a brief description. You'll see a video there and a brief description. And then there's a form at the bottom that you're going to fill out. That way I will have a little bit of information about you so that we can get right into the call. And rather we decide to work together or not, I will at least try to refer you to somebody else, make the personal contact, And you will walk away from this call with some tools that you didn't have before we got started. And if we decide that we are fit and we decide to work together, we'll take the next step at that point. But the first step is to request that call. So go to menofabundance.com, click on the coaching tab at the top of the page, fill out the form and request a 30 minute discovery call with me. Now go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward.